And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Hello. How's it going? Hi. Um, so what have you been watching? Uh, I watched the Santa Claus on Disney+. Plus. I still have not seen the Santa Claus 2 and the Santa Claus 3. But I will watch those. Uh, I, my favorite. Do you know what my favorite line is in the Santa Claus? I bet you could yeah. guess, too. Yes. What is I'm it? in big trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I say that a lot. I said that when I was playing Doom the other day. Um, I was <laughs> I was against this big bad guy. I was like, I'm in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I watched all or all. I watched Harry Potter one through five. It's a it's a Christmas miracle. And so I put them on on the Blu-ray and watched them and they're good. Uh, the third one is still my favorite, but uh, things just, things get really hot and heavy after the Goblet of Fire. That's when stuff gets real, man. So yes, um, yeah. hot and heavy with wizard petting. Yeah, lots of it. Lots of it. <laughs> I don't know. Snogging. Need, yeah. Yeah. You need consent to do that kind of stuff. Uh, I started. I also put on the Chappelle show on HBO Max because they have all. I think there was only three seasons or something like that. Dude, it's so funny. It still holds up so well. So it's pretty hilarious. And then I watched the Ma- the Mandalorian as well. Um, I don't know enough about the lore of uh, like I didn't watch. I didn't watch Rebels or I didn't watch. Uh, what's the other one called? Clone Wars. So I only know about like Ahsoka Tano through just stuff, nerd stuff. And then your, <laughs> your guys is. Yeah, the, the 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 GL podcast, too. I listen to your guys weekly stuff. And uh, Randy's very knowledgeable in it. So that's how I, I that's how I get my my daily fixings of Star Wars news. So, but yeah, man, that's all I got. Cool. Well, good for you. I watched a couple movies. Yeah, yeah. I watched um, Predator, Predator 2. I watched um, the entire final season of the originals. I was behind and I had been putting it off. And then so I plowed through it and loved it. I was ugly crying last night when it finished. I was so sad. Oh, you know what else I watched? I watched City Slickers and City Slickers 2. Now, I hadn't <laughs> seen those movies since they came out, but I I must have watched them a thousand times because I remembered every line of dialogue. Like I just couldn't be shut off, and it was driving Alex crazy. <laughs> just and, like Casino. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It was nuts. Like, I was literally just saying everything along with it. So it must have got burned into my head pretty early. But the thing that's funny is they go on this cattle drive. It's for uh, Billy Crystal's 39th birthday. And he's in a very bad place mentally. And he's got to find his smile. And I just started thinking, like, man, I feel like I look a lot better than Billy Crystal does at 39. Like all of them, like Bruno Kirby and Daniel Stern. I'm just like, shit, I'm 40 and I'm, you know, I'm rock and rolling. I'm loving my life. I love my my family. I love, you know, everything that I have going for me. So I just felt so fortunate. You know, the 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 40 year old midlife crisis hasn't hasn't hit me yet. So um, I'm sure it'll happen one day. It just didn't happen at the 39, 40 range. Thank God. <laughs> I've never um, seen City Slickers. 
Sounds exhausting. Oh, it's actually really funny. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. It's good. And then um, I watched Training Day. And I I was telling you earlier that I actually like this movie like less and less. Every time I watch it, I like it a little bit less. I don't know what it is. I just I can't get into it. And I I thought I remember really loving it. And I don't know. It's depreciated. I don't know, man. When I was growing up in the hood, it was not. Uh, it wasn't like that. We didn't have no police detectives running around calling shots, calling themselves King Kong, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's rough. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I actually really like Predator 2. I think it's an underrated movie. And uh, actually, the first time I saw it was like five years ago. And I was like, this is there's a second Predator. And where's Arnold? And uh, I I really liked how they set it up for um, Alien versus Predator and stuff. Like what would potentially be an Alien versus Predator movie. And then I really liked uh, just the whole kind of race of Predators mentality. And it was a. it was dark, man. It's a real gory movie, too. Yeah, two's nuts, man. I, I really like two a lot. And it's fun because the beginning of the movie is just kind of 90s cop. Got to swear every other word and, you know, and it's bad and rah, violence, you know, and it's pretty hardcore. But it kind of turns into a horror movie at some point and it gets really edgy. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Alex was like reading her book and kind of just kept putting her eyes up on the screen. She's like, this is a Predator movie you're watching? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, it's nuts, right? And the uh, first time I saw it was at the drive-in. Man, I saw a double feature. It was Predator 2 and Mark for Death. Those are the two movies. And, um, man, it blew me away. And I remember really liking it when I was a kid. And I, I hadn't seen it in probably like 20 years. But um, I'd seen it enough to where I, you know, nothing was new. But, you know, at the end of the movie, when the, the elder Predator hands him that old sort of musket pistol type of thing, um, it's like his little reward for defeating the, the predator. There's a comic book that's tied to that, which I researched last night. And, um, it was this whole thing with this pirate that didn't want to take any money from a church. Like he had these rules about like, uh, stealing from religious folks. And so his men mutinied against him. And when he did his last stand against all of his men, the predator was watching and decided to help him. And then after they lay siege on all the, the mutinous pirates, uh, they're about to do their battle. And then a pirate that was still alive shot the dude in the back and he died. And the and the, the pirate says, you know, take it, giving him his gun that had his name on it, which is the one that I forget. The, I don't remember what it was. It's, it's escaped me. But um, that's why he hands the gun to Danny Glover at the end. Like, you know, I've, I've held on to this thing for you know 250 years and he even says those exact words, take it, you know, it's because they can record speech and everything. And <laughs> yeah. so I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, shit, I like that. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. I think that the the uh, creators of that had bigger plans uh, in it. And if you look in the background, there's like a hidden Easter egg. There's a xenomorph in, in the back. Xenomorph. Yeah, the trophies. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I think that you're right. Like, I, I didn't I didn't know it was a comic book um, until you just said that. So very fascinating. I like how deep it went. Yeah, there's a, there was a whole series of uh, Alien and Predator comic books in the 90s that, you know, had Predators and humans like working together and they um, like there's this one girl that wears like Predator armor and she kicks major ass and um, yeah, it was cool. She's like big, to, big bada boom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, big bada boom. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Let's go check, check it out. Right, right on. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the first Predator, the second Predator, and Aliens versus Predator are probably my favorites out of all of the Predator movies. And then 
uh, as far as aliens go, I like the first four and I, I want to like Prometheus, but I just, I can't, (laughs) (laughs) I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. I've watched it so many times. Like there's something there and I know this is good. I don't know why I hate it so much, but it just doesn't work. And then I can't stand alien covenant. Oh, yeah. But we're not here (laughs) to talk about that. We're here to talk about clueless. From 1995, directed by one Amy Heckerling, who you might know from National Lampoon's European Vacation, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Look Who's Talking, and Look Who's Talking 2. Oh, and Loser. You saw that with the, uh, <laughs> the one Biggs. guy. <laughs> Jason Biggs, yeah. Oh, they had that theme really. song by Weedus. It was Teenage Dirtbag. Do you remember that one? I don't think so, no. I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. No? You don't remember that one? I don't know that, no. Oh. Just sort of went on with my life, I guess. You're you're breaking my balls here. You're breaking my balls. (laughs) Oh, geez. But I do like Amy Heckling. I mean, at least I like, um, excuse me, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorites. Um, She wrote this movie, which is fantastic. The cast stars uh, Alicia Silverstone, Paul Rudd, Brittany Murphy, Stacey Dash, Dan Hedaya, Donald Faison, uh, Elisa Donovan, Jeremy Sisto, Breckenmeyer, and of course, Wallace Shaw. This has become the Wallace Shaw podcast. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> uh, as far as critical reception goes, wouldn't you know it? The fine folks in Chicago finally like a movie. <laughs> Fucking Gene Siskel says, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Clueless. Well, you know what, Gene? I was surprised when I read this review. I couldn't believe it. I was beside myself. <laughs> so there's that uh, then you have Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly he says there's such a gaping discontinuity between her physical beauty and her vacant gum snapping personality that she's like a walking advertisement for everything that's right and wrong with America C plus yeah wow so I should mention that these reviews are coming off of the old Rotten Tomato there and uh, this is certified fresh at a whopping 82%. So good on them. It's a hit, as it were. Uh, John Leland from Newsweek says, The summer's most compelling movie about teenagers. Don't I know it. I remember this was summer of 95. I was a 15-year-old lad. Saw it at the old drive-in. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, budget was $12 million opening weekend. You saw a whopping $10.6 million come in, and that was on July 23rd, 1995. And it has a gross of $56 million. Not too shabby. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good indeed. So it, uh, it had a 40-day shoot schedule, too, which is pretty nice for such a big movie, I guess. Um, yeah, there's only a couple of real scenes like, you know, they're at the high school lot, then they're mm-hmm. at her house, and then they're at a couple of parties. Yeah, in the valley. So. Yeah. So uh, Alicia Silverstone actually did not know how to correctly pronounce Haitians in the classroom scene. She said Hadians, I believe. Uh, Dan- yeah. Direct- <laughs> yeah, remember funny. that? Yeah, director, Am- director Amy Heckerling told the crew not to correct her because she liked it so much and wanted it to be in the film. That's pretty funny. Uh, Plot, characters, themes, and values are all based on Jane Austen's novel, Emma. Amy Heckerling was asked asked by Paramount to write a film for teenagers, and she instantly remembered the novel she read as a teenager. 
While filming, Paul Rudd was mugged and had his backpack stolen, which held his script for the movie. Wow. Should have just turned into Ant-Man. Um, although with many obvious modernizations and adaptations having been made, Clueless actually does still dovetail pretty closely to the original plot and central set of characters found in Austin's novel Emma. In terms of the cast, for instance, Cher is Emma, Josh is Mr. Knightley, Ty is Harriet Smith, Elton is Mr. Elton, Travis is Robert Martin, Christian is a loose and much more sympathetic version of Frank Churchill, and Dion could feasibly be Mrs. Weston. Although it is also possible, given that Cher attempts to play matchmaker with the two of them, that Mr. Hall and Miss Geist could also be Mr. and Mrs. Weston, who likewise Emma claims to have matched. How about that? Did you ever read uh, did you ever read the Emma there, Justin? I did not, no. <laughs> no. Uh, neither did I. I know about it. I think I spark noted it back in uh, high school, but I know about it. Um, there's a lot of uh, iterations of it, though, too. Most recently with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, there is a version that came out last year, I think, or this year. Um, so, yeah. All right. Here's the synopsis. There, there was a version that came out with Gwyneth Paltrow around that same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. She shoots a bow and arrow or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> That's all I remember from it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Synopsis. So, <laughs> she... <laughs> Cher Horowitz lives in a Beverly Hills mansion with her wealthy father, Mel, a gruff litigator. Her mother died during a liposuction procedure when Cher was a baby. I didn't know that it was a liposuction procedure. Well, she says that in the movie. Oh, I should probably pay attention more. Did you even watch the movie? No. Cher is a Cher is attractive, stylish, good natured and popular. She attends Bronson Alcott High School with her best friend, Dion Davenport, who is also wealthy and beautiful. Dion has a long-term relationship with popular student Murray Duvall. Cher claims that this is a pointless endeavor for Dion. Josh, or Josh, Cher's socially conscious ex-stepbrother, visits her during a break from college. They spar continually, but playfully. She mocks his idealism while he teases her for being selfish, vain, and superficial, saying that her only direction in life is towards the mall. After receiving a poor grade, (laughs) Cher... That's not nice. I know, it's rude. After receiving a poor grade, Cher decides to play matchmaker for two hard-grading teachers at her school, Mr. Hall and Miss Geist. She orchestrates a romance between the two teachers and, or to make them relax their grading standards so she can renegotiate a bad grade on her report card. After seeing their newfound happiness, Cher realizes that she enjoys doing good deeds. She then decides to give back to the community by adopting a tragically unhip new girl at school, Ty Frazier. Cher and Dion give Ty a makeover, which provides Ty a confidence and sense of style. Cher tries to extinguish the attraction between Ty and Travis Birkenstock, uh, an amiable but clumsy slacker, and to steer her towards Elton, a handsome and popular student who likes sweaters. However, Elton has no interest in Ty and instead tries to make out in his car with Cher, who rebuffs him. Uh, A fashion-conscious new student named Christian attracts Cher's attention at school and becomes her target boyfriend. When he comes over to watch some movies at her home, she tries to seduce him, but he deflects her advances. Murray subsequently explains to Cher and Dion that Christian is a cake boy. (laughs) I I never got it. He's gay. Uh, Despite the failure of her romantic overtures, Cher remains friends with Christian, primarily due to her admiration of his good taste in art and fashion. Cher's privileged life takes a negative turn when Ty's newfound popularity strains the relationship. Cher's frustration escalates after she fails her driving test and cannot change the result. When Cher returns home in a depressed mood, Ty confesses her feelings for Josh and asks Cher for help in pursuing him. 
Cher says that Ty is not right for Josh, leading to a quarrel which results in Ty calling Cher a virgin who can't drive. That was my best, Brittany Murphy. Uh, feeling totally clueless, Cher... Ooh, <laughs> totally clueless. Cher reflects... <laughs> I know. <laughs> Superman 4, the custom piece. Uh, Cher reflects on her priorities and her repeated failures to understand or appreciate the people in her life. After thinking about why she is bothered by Ty's romantic interest in Josh, Cher finally realizes that she is actually in love with him. Cher begins making awkward but sincere efforts to live a more purposeful life, including captaining the school's Pismo Beach disaster relief effort. Cher and Josh eventually follow through on their feelings for one another, culminating in a tender kiss. Ultimately, Cher's friendship with Ty and Dion are solidified. Ty and Travis are dating, Mr. Hall and Miss Geist get married, and Cher catches the wedding bouquet, helping Josh win a $200 bet. She then embraces Josh, and they kiss. And I think, is he like 18 and she's 16? What's the age gap there? Are we just not supposed to know? Yeah, he's in school. He's in college. But yeah, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be kind of gross if he was like 20, 22 and she was 16. <laughs> it'd be pretty gross. But yeah, so um, when was the first time you saw this? You said you, saw it, you, said you were 15. You saw it at the drive-in. And um, that was in California, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Southern California. It was fun. Had a blast. I enjoyed it. Cool. I don't remember the first time I saw this exactly, but I was I was pretty young. I remember it came out and uh, you're about the same age as my sister. So she was 15 as well. Uh, She had her and her friends went to the we had a local theater in town that had three screens. And I remember my mom dropped them all off in this giant caravan and I had a crush on one of them. And so I went along because one of the girls was in the car and it was awesome. But they they kept doing the rolling with the homies song on the way back. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I just thought they were crazy. But uh, yeah, so that's <laughs> I saw it around that time, I think, because then like a year later or whenever it came out on video, I watched it and I didn't get it very much. I was still a young lad, but uh, I, I've watched it um, subsequent times since. And then this was the first time I'd seen it in at least 10 years. But uh, I liked it. Um, I wasn't blown away by it, but I really liked it. I thought there were funny parts and it's just uh, all around a, a pretty solid movie. So Yeah, I remember I got it as a gift for my 30th birthday on VHS. No. <laughs> cool. That's a good yeah. gift. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it, they knew it was one of my favorites, so I got it as a gift. So, um, well, uh, Clueless is one of those, you know, coming of age high school movies, and there are just so many of them out there. I already I kind of listed some of them, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, She's All That, 10 Things I Hate About You, Dazed and Confused, and Lady Bird. Uh, have you seen any of those, Justin? You've seen Fast Times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen 10 Things. I've seen Dazed and Confused, which I can't stand, by the way. That movie drives me fucking nuts. Really? The, the main kid, the, the freshman, just yeah. like touches his face. Face, Mitch. like every scene he's in and i hate it I, it's I so distracting <laughs> i can't take it i don't want to watch it i need a cavender cut where every scene that he's in is just gone and uh i'll probably enjoy it it's gonna um, be like a hundred hundred million extra to make that cavender cut though <laughs> yeah no no see they're cutting they're making it less <laughs> taking it out should be cheaper they're filled with helium so they're light <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah so amidst all those high school movies um The question I have for you is, do you think that these are all necessary? Do they have some sort of existential message or are they just an excuse for out of touch adults to stereotype teens in the worst way? I think they're absolutely necessary. And I don't think 
that these movies are necessarily for adults when they are released. I think they're more for the kids of now. And I think it's, it's, you know, we've talked about art reflecting uh, the times and it's fun to see these kids with their big dumb phones or their flip phones and their pagers and, you know, their fashion sense and all that stuff. And I do think that it's relatable content. So when I was a kid, it was very much like that. Not necessarily kids having BMWs and, and stuff like that, but just the sense of what was important at that time. You know, if you were to make a high school movie now, then it's going to be all about fucking TikTok dance videos and, <laughs> yeah. and my face and all that other bullshit. So it's it's definitely uh, reflecting on the times. And so, I, you know, there's as far as like this existential message or whatever, I do think that that it's fun for for kids to see you know their their representation on screen but i think what's interesting about this particular movie is you know fast times didn't really have uh you know like a gay student right and then in this case christian was gay but Cher didn't know it <laughs> you know yeah. maybe because she's <laughs> clueless or whatever but he certainly wasn't comfortable enough to have that conversation with her so i mean now if a movie is made then maybe that representation could even you know go beyond what we are normally used to seeing so i I do think it's important that they keep being made and i do think that even characters you know get to you know seeing these different cliques and these different types of kids it's important for people to see that and identify because you know a lot of times there's a, a, a mean bully, right? There's that jerk that's just mean to everyone. And everyone at their school knows who that is. But maybe when that bully watches the movie, they're like, oh, man, that guy's a real asshole, dude. I hate that fucking guy. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, who knows? Maybe it gets through to him. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But it's it's hard being a kid, man. And you got enough problems as it is. And school is just this. It's like fucking Game of Thrones. And everyone's out to get you. And you got to just kind of do your part and you got to try and not to be noticed, but noticed enough to where you're kind of cool, but not too cool. But then also not like deemed as like a loser or whatever. So you don't get picked on. There's so much going on in a kid's mind. And I I am so glad that I'm past it. <laughs> and I think one of the things that these movies is is good for is just to show and remind parents how tough school really can be. Right. And I think... Uh, so I think that there it's good to, I agree with you. I think it's good to have these interpretations of what high school is, but sometimes I think it gets a little, uh, misconstrued maybe with someone who has been out of high school for a long time. So for you and I, I mean, you joke about the TikTok thing. You're not very far off from, from what it is, but I also am not, I've been out of high school since 2005. And so I don't know how high school is now. And so I think that there's pretty big misses for certain attempts at making a high school drama. For example, that 13 reasons why show some of the dialogue. I I remember I watched one episode of it. Some of the dialogue was awful. It felt like it was so forced and it felt like it was what a 45 or 50 year old white male thought high school was. And so, and I think we, we saw that in a lot of nineties movies too with uh, she's all or, yeah, she's all that. The one with Evan Rachel Wood, where a lot of the people there are just so pretty and everyone is stereotypical. Um, you have a lot of the same types of uh, things and tropes going on. 
But, I, you know, we all know that the, the most accurate high school movie is Starship Troopers. That is exactly how high school right. is all the time. So but um, I, I do think that some of my favorite works of a high school coming of age film are like The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, because I think both of those movies are are about listening to your kids and we all have problems and, and it's it's hard to relate to your kids when they're in that transitional formative high school year experience. And I think it's nice to be able to uh, reach people. And John Hughes did such a good job of, of reaching people with his movies because it's, it's almost like he, he was a kid at heart basically. Sure. And then, but I mean, he was also in his thirties when those movies were made. That's true. So, I mean, he's a 30 year old that's writing about teenagers. Well, but I, I think that with the invention, with the advancement in technology, I think that high school is changing a lot quicker than uh, than what it is. I mean, even for his generation, too, it probably changed a decent amount. But with us, I mean, I feel that each new year there's a new trend or new app out or new thing out where I would not keep up with it. I mean, I didn't I didn't have a cell phone until I was 16 and you have kids in one of my favorite movies ever is eighth grade. And you have kids in eighth grade who are who have smartphones. And I'm just like, what? You know, um, you probably never saw that yet. Right. Eighth grade. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a movie by Bo Burnham, the uh, the YouTube comedian turned comedian turned director. And I think it, it was really, really good. And it, it was as as visceral as you can get for a coming of age movie it's that weird transition phase between eighth grade middle school and um, high school but i think it was just a phenomenal message about how life will get better and and your social status doesn't matter really where where you're at i mean it's it's gonna suck sure it's it's right. hard to yeah that's the thing right like it yeah who cares about tomorrow today is the day i'm getting picked on right so yeah. that's in in a when you're a teenager everything is about right now you know, mm. I, I have to go to this party tonight. I have to do this. I have to do right. that or tomorrow's going to fucking suck. And so you can tell me all day long that once I'm out of high school, it's not going to matter anymore. But big fucking deal. I'm in high school right now. This yeah. is when it matters. So exactly. That's, that's where the real problem is, right? Yeah. And I think in eighth grade, they tow that line because you, you see what she deals with all the time. And she's she has moral victories, but it's it's never um, a fantastical uh, fairy tale like thing where she's a she goes from geek to chic. She be, she remains the geek the entire film, but it's just a really profound movie and heartfelt. So and I think with in Clueless, I don't know if it really has a message per se, but I, I think it might be one of the meanings could possibly be that Cher realizes that her materialism only goes so far and that when she does do the good deed of, of hooking up Mr. Geist and um, Mr. Uh, whatever his name is, Wallace Shawn, when she does that, I think it, it really kind of um, opens up this gateway. Mr. In, Hall. Or, Mr. Hall, this doorway for her where then she takes on Ty and, and she starts to volunteer after that and where she might have just done it just to do it. I think that maybe she actually took pride in it later on. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff just to do nice things and I realized, oh, whoa, I, I didn't I didn't mean to do that to get kudos from anybody. I just did it. And so I, I think maybe that's kind of what part of the meaning is of it. So I think just like in Emma, like she's a matchmaker and she's always trying to do stuff for other people. And in Clueless, she's so wrapped up in Ty and wrapped up in the whole Miss Geist and Mr. Hall situation and learning how to how to drive and all these things that 
she was too distracted to see that love was right there in front of her face this whole time. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of ultimately what it is, is in the, in the Ferris Bueller sense, if you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you know, like life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you're going to miss it. And so I think it was more akin to that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I agree with that. Very well said, sir. You are a scholar and I want to subscribe to your newsletter. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, Kevin Williamson's another one. He did uh, Dawson's Creek. And if you ever watch that show, they're in high school and they talk like no human being I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> I'm like, well, wow, Kevin Williamson, he's a, he's a good writer, but uh, I don't know any high school kid that ever talked like that. And, yeah, uh, you know, he went on to do the screen movies, of course. And, you know, he's, he's a fantastic writer, but uh, it's always fun to, to see the dialogue play out on, on people that you aren't used to, to experiencing that with. Yeah. And so to kind of expand on that, uh, so there, there's typically some sort of truth behind these extreme examples of stereotypical high school teens. Like we were talking about, she's all that and starship troopers and whatever. And I've never lived in California and I know that you have for the good majority of your life. So I don't have a frame of reference for how California is. How realistic can you honestly say it is, Justin? Um, can you think of any high school movies that maybe nail the stereotype or that just completely bomb? Um, I think that um, in the movie uh, Mean Girls, I think that movie is pretty much on point with being the most realistic when it comes to the types of people that are in schools. <laughs> I fucking love Mean Girls. I think it's so funny. I think it's so clever and brilliant. And I think that that's probably the best high school movie ever. And, <laughs> uh, but I would say that living in California is different than whatever school they were going to in Clueless because it's a bunch of, you know, wealthy children that go to this school. Their parents are insanely wealthy. They all drive these crazy cars. They wear different outfits. All the students there have uh, plastic surgery that they're recovering from. You know, there was so many different things that would never really happen at any school that I went to. So my community was out in the middle of the desert. It was relatively poor. And if a kid showed up wearing Jordans, then they might as well just won the fucking lottery. Like they're just the wealthiest (laughs) kid ever. So, um, I mean, you know, I didn't grow up poor. I I had everything that I ever wanted, but I still didn't have Jordans. You know, like, I mean, it's it was like a whole nother type of symbol, basically. And so at 15, seeing these kids, you know, I had a car, I had wheels. I I had this 89 Toyota pickup and all of my buddies had cars, too, but. I don't think any of us, I don't think there was a single new car in the entire student parking lot. And if it were at any point, it was probably, you know, a loner from a parent because, you know, they were out of town or something. <laughs> like, yeah. no, there was no reason for that to be their car. It was like a one time type thing. But um, so it's hard to relate in that true sense. But I do think that as far as like the stereotypes go, you know, I think that Clueless did a pretty good job of showing that there are these little subclasses, like there are the skater guys, there's the AV club people, there's the the preppy kids, there's the the popular kids, the the athletes, the cheerleaders, that sort of thing. And I think that that's pretty universal at most schools. Yeah, and I think 
I mean, obviously, I think that they were really extreme in this where, you know, they had they had the Persians and they were all on cell phones and like, yeah, you can't be there unless you own a BMW. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if, you, if you ever. So, yes, I agree that it's totally <laughs> like, like, you know, stereotypical and racist and stuff. But, you know, I had a Persian roommate in college and like I saw my roommate in that movie and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so hell in the jar, my young man, up down all the way. That's pretty um, funny. Yeah, it's it's good shit. So, um, I mean, I remember you know we had a, a family reunion, and you know I'm Armenian, and and it was when I got my invite, I was like, I don't know if I can make it, and they're like, why? I'm like, well, I don't have my 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 Mercedes is in the shop, and I don't have any gold chains, and so like it was. <laughs> It's just my whole family's kind of like that, you know. They're like they gotta wear their gold chains and they gotta have their Mercedes, right? And it's I think how they do things, which is an interesting see, choice of car, but whatever. Did you ever see uh, Booksmart? No. So Booksmart does a really Olivia Wilde directed it, and it's awesome. It's on Hulu if you have time to check it out. It's basically like the female super bad, but uh, Olivia Wilde did a really good job of meshing high school students, uh, modern high school students, where you do have clicks, you do have some popular ones, you have the nerdy ones, but they all kind of fit together too. And they kind of welcome uh, Beanie Feldstein, who plays one of the main characters. They welcome her and her friend, Caitlin Devers, into the um, the the party, even though they're a little different. It, it's, it's not, I mean, it's the end of the year. They're all seniors. I mean, that's kind of honestly how my high school was. We we would have senior skip day or we would have a, a what was it called like senior bonfire or something like that. It was just a big senior party and we would invite people who were maybe not in our clique per se. Um, I was kind of a, a median guy like I hung out with popular people, but I also hung out with less popular people. I, I wasn't on the upper echelon by any by any stretch. Um, but I was I was friends with with everybody. I think sports helped with that, too. And we but we were still inviting people who maybe didn't really go to parties or whatever and i think she nailed it for for how that kind of feel is and uh kind of broke those stereotypes a little bit cuz i mean you see extreme examples of it like in clueless but it's it's not <laughs> at least my high school experience wasn't like that and and i'm in the same boat as you no one really had a brand new car if they did it was like their moms or something like that but everyone had a, like a used car or a or a, a barely used car at that so um, what clique were you in, in, in high school? If you were in any, I wasn't really in one. We were just kind of, I was like an average Joe. I mean, everyone knew who I was, but I mean, I had two older sisters mm-hmm. and so they kind of paved the way. And my sister was like captain, or, uh, captain, uh, captain of the cheerleading team. And so she was pretty popular and she was a uh, class president. She did all Damn. that stuff. And so I just, I was just kind of there. I mean, I was a funny guy in school, so everyone knew me, but I never really like, cause any problems or ruffled any feathers i was just i just existed you were like mitch and dazed and confused always touching your face yeah (laughs) yeah right anyone that knows me knows that i can't stand people touching my face let alone myself i I just put their uh, feet up on your desk instead oh man stab that motherfucker (laughs) yeah no uh okay that makes sense yeah, I was, uh, like I said, I was probably middle of the road. My siblings, I, my brother was in high school too. He's a senior when I was a junior or when I was a freshman, he was a, a dork though. Um, and then my younger sister was in high school for two years when I was in high school too. So, um, I feel you on that. 
Now, yeah. uh, I, mean, I literally contributed nothing to my school. I mean, I, I played a couple of sports, but I mean, I wasn't like an all-American or anything like that. I'm just <laughs> just kind of there, like, hey, how's it going? But I mean, after when school was over, I was home watching TV. You know, I was watching fucking DuckTales and, <laughs> and Darkwing Duck and all that other bullshit after class. And, you know, that was that was it. Like, I, I wasn't like a crazy rager or party animal or anything like that. I was a good kid. I, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. And um, I just, I don't know, just had a... A square head on my shoulders but i mean that's not to say that i wasn't you know uh, sneaky per se you know i, I didn't sneak <laughs> out of the house but i mean i i did everything i could to where i would never have homework so i mean i would just do it in class as soon as i would find out if someone had a class before me i'd find out what the homework assignment is and i would do it in class while they're trying to teach the lesson so every day when i went home from school i had nothing to do until the next day at school Look that at was you. just my goal I was a very efficient <laughs> at school. <laughs> Didn't fuck around. I got I got good grades, but my mom was always like, "How come you never have homework?" I'm like, "I did. I just I just did it already." She's like, "Okay, whatever." And then she'd see my report card and be like, "Yeah, he's not full of shit." So I mean, it worked out. But I mean, I I busted my ass to where I could. I only worked hard enough to get the job done. Let's put it that way. And I I excelled at getting. 89% on fucking everything. I could never get a goddamn eight. It would drive me insane. And, I, and if I did, it would be like a 90%. And so I would have to like ace the final in order to get an A in the class kind of thing. But if I did okay, I would still have a B in the class. So no big deal. So that was just my mentality without going like above and beyond. I was just a fucking B student. And it used to drive me insane. More like efficient Armo. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, well, that's great, man. I'm, you, uh, you haven't changed at all. Not one I, I bit. really haven't. <laughs> I'm fucking the same guy, dude. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> so many 90s films, they're, they're categorized by some pretty distinct music. And I think the 90s era was, uh, I mean, just like the 80s, you could pick it out of anything, really. So what did you think of the Clueless soundtrack? Did you like it? Yeah, that was okay. I don't think it was anything um, really, like, memorable or anything like that. Um but I mean, it's not. I was annoyed by a single song. The only part that does bother me is when Elton's in the car with Cher and he's doing this cranberries. <laughs> oh my god! I'm I like, hate what that part a too. fucking asshole! I hate this kid so much. I hated that part when I was a kid too, and so I still hate it. <laughs> yeah, drives me nuts. But I mean, the that era of music. Uh, I mean, you know, this came out in the mid '90s, obviously, but there is that early '90s uh, hip hop that is fun is a word for it um like rolling, rolling with, with the homies oh <laughs> uh, it's always good stuff um but i mean it, it's all it's all fun and heavy music it's it's fine like Dude, i want to yeah. be a supermodel i like that song yeah yeah it had the muffs counting crows radiohead bc boys the mighty mighty boss tones and no <laughs> doubt um yeah, yeah I, I think and it uh it was it was spaced out pretty well, but that was a fun cameo by like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, and I I just ska was so nineties ska oh, bands were so nineties California too at that, but yeah, it was uh, pretty radical. Um, and I mean, I think of other films like Singles, Empire Records, Airheads, Cruel Intentions. Those all had some pretty memorable soundtracks with some pretty memorable songs for the most part. But uh, Empire Records probably being the top for me, honestly. But yeah, uh, I, I I enjoyed it. I think. I, I think it fit with the times and it was just kind of eclectic. It had a whole bunch of different 
styles around it. So I, I thought it was neat. I thought it was worth talking about for a minute, though. But um, yeah, did you did you have a favorite scene or line in the movie? And uh, or did you have like a favorite character? And then why? Oh, my God. So Ty is my favorite character ever of all time. But I mean, I'm in love with Brittany Murphy. and I was devastated when she passed away. That's uh, one of the few celebrity deaths that really had an impact on me. Absolutely love Brittany Murphy. And Ty, when Ty gets like hit in the head with the shoe and just drops like a <laughs> rock. Oh my God. I fucking laugh every time. I think it's so funny. And uh, I like when uh, she's doing the rolling with the homies thing. And, and when Brecken Meyer's character, Travis is like, uh, when he does the crowd surfing thing and she's like, yeah. Oh, you know, I want to try And he's like, no, don't do it. Cause then, you know, then guys, you know, have to find something else to impress girls with. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's like, what kind of stuff? And, or, and then, and then she's like, he's like, but then what would girls do to, or what would guys do to impress them? And she's like, I don't know. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. I fucking laugh so hard. God, I just love everything that she says. And um, <laughs> I like her whole makeover scene when she's doing the transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she first shows up in, in at the gym class and the girl's like, she could be a farmer in those clothes. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I like it too. I like Ty. She's great. Yeah, Brittany Murphy, RIP. She is sorely missed. But uh, yeah, my favorite character was probably Cher, honestly. Um, I really enjoyed her a lot. I think Alicia Silverstone knocked it out of the park. It was Amy Heckerling's only choice to play the character. Um, So I thought that that was great. My favorite part with Cher was anytime she was debating, because I think it's very much akin to Legally Blonde, where you have... This girl who's supposed to be a ditz, but she has street smarts and um, Cher was just very good at arguing. And I really enjoyed the car scene after she gets picked up from getting mugged. And uh, Paul Rudd is with his girlfriend, Heather, and they're talking about Hamlet and Cher corrects her about Hamlet. And <laughs> she's just like, oh, you know, I know Mel Gibson and this is that. And I, I mean, I've done that kind of stuff before where I've maybe not known literature or known world history, but I've like, Oh, I know this movie and there was this part and I ended up being right. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that scene. And then she's one like, of my Polo- favorite, that guy Polonius said that. Yeah, yeah. Polonius. And then one of my favorite lines was when he's like, do you want to practice parking? She's like, what's the point? Everywhere you go as valet. <laughs> right. <laughs> In LA, that's pretty true. I know. And that's why I was, I, I thought it was really funny. I'm like, huh? It made me think of people in Oregon who who don't know how to pump their own gas because uh, for the longest time, you know, you couldn't pump right. your own gas there, you which is crazy. Certain parts. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's, it's I remember going local. to a diner in L.A. and I had to valet. It was just like this. It's that same diner that um, that they go into in uh, Big Lebowski. Oh, where yeah. He's, where he's like, I'm staying. I'm finished my coffee. I'm, <laughs> I'm finishing my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so that diner, it's a pretty famous diner. And um, it's always fucking crowded. Always. Doesn't matter what time of day. You just go in there. It's just slammed. And um, I, there's a valet parking right across the street because you'll never get a fucking spot. That's uh, weird. I wonder if their food's even good. I... I mean, it, it could have been Denny's and I would have not known the difference, but I like Denny's. <laughs> it moons over my hammy <laughs> with no ham. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, no. I guess I like I like paying five dollars for Denny's. That's the thing, right? So like I don't I not that I'm a picky eater per se, but I mean, if I'm going to a place that's supposed to be great 
it better blow my fucking mind. Otherwise, why not just go to Denny's? You know yeah. what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, just, I got you. That's just how I think about food <laughs> that way. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, so Amy Heckerling, she created Clueless and she wrote it and stuff as a modern day interpretation of Jane Austen's Emma. Do you enjoy when there are reimagined interpretations of classic literature like this that they turn into films? And then what kind of purpose do you think these can these adaptations can serve where you modernize it? Sure. I think um sorry, I didn't mean to yawn. You're not boring me. Um <laughs> I, I haven't had a monster in eight days, dude. Good. Crazy. Good. Yes. Got my. I was telling Stephen K. Jane's. I get my my sobriety chip in at thirty. <laughs> I want to buy you a case, I get thirty case of monsters out of your sobriety <laughs> yeah, chip. Celebrate every day of sobriety. It's gonna be great, and uh, I'm happy to do that. Um, yeah. But yes, so I do think that literature can be for all, for all you Ocean's Thirteen fans out there. Oh, you only know literature. Um, <laughs> The uh, I do think that it's hard to find uh, joy in literature sometimes. And if there is a way to modernize it and 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 get it relatable to a younger audience that could maybe then fall in love with it, I think is a really good approach. You know, just the the retelling of Romeo and Juliet that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. I think that was a very fun take on Romeo and Juliet. I hadn't really seen or thought of anything like that at the time and i thought that was pretty cool i think if you were to do it now it'd be kind of derivative but for its time it was pretty cool uh, oh, but totally. even even something like event horizon you know sort of this spin on dante's inferno i think is a really neat take mm-hmm. i think that's so cool that you can have a space horror movie be inspired by you know literature i think that's fantastic um, but then even something like this, uh, you know, Emma, I, I would never in a billion years find myself curled up under a blanket by a fireplace reading Emma, but <laughs> fuck, I'll watch Clueless any day of the week. I love yeah. it. And so I just think it's different strokes for different folks. But then even something like Pride and Prejudice, and then you add fucking zombies to it. And I'm like, all right, well, that sounds <laughs> yeah. like the greatest idea I've ever heard in my entire life. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. But I mean, I do think that there's a fun way to get people excited about literature. Even something like Frankenstein. You know, that's something that was written a long time ago. And uh, I remember reading the book and it was cool and all, but it was seeing the movie that really, like the one that Kenneth Branagh did. I really enjoyed that Frankenstein movie. I know that there's a hundred other Frankenstein movies out there. But that particular one in general, I, I just think I like the way that Kenneth Branagh brings theater to life. I think he's uh, got a really good eye for that sort of thing. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I agree. I think he's, he's really good. And then 10 Things I Hate About You, that was like the Taming of the Shrew. Uh, right. The Lion, the Lion King was Macbeth. West Side Story was Romeo and Juliet. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises was A Tale of Two Cities. So you have a lot of different interpretations of those. And obviously they're not, you know, shot for shot. Emma, Clueless and Emma are, are pretty close, though. There's a lot of the same stuff. And then same thing with 10 Things I Hate About You. They use... You know, that might even be why Josh is older, so much older than right. uh, Cher. is just because in that time... That was okay. You could be a 50 year old man with a 12 year old daughter kind of thing. Gross. I know I, I got you. And I was, I was thinking about that the whole time. I'm like, Oh, okay. So it's just an adaptation, but I mean, we can, we can probably suffice it to say that he is, let's say he's 18 years old and he's a freshman in college or something like that. And let's say she's 16, which age you consent, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not gonna worry about that little stuff. She'll be 16 in April. April. If you watch the movie, she's oldest. 
Yes. Yeah, but then at the end, when at the wedding scene, she goes, "Ooh, no way! I'm 16," and like, it's unless we're in Kentucky, it's not legal. So, right. <laughs> so time had passed, and she had had a birthday, and we missed it. But she had a piece of cake. Took <laughs> Pretty a good. long time to get here. <laughs> Took a long time to get here. So, uh, but I, I, you and I, you, me, and uh, Stephen Alva Wood, we were talking about this for Scream, where it is, it is good to kind of re rethink the wheel and think outside the box or reinvent the wheel and, and think outside the box sort of thing. And you can interpret, take things and interpret them in different ways. Uh, easy a right. Easy a was with Emma stone and that was the scarlet letter. But I know a lot of people who are like, I've never read the scarlet letter. Oh, but I love easy a. So I think it's, it, it's fun that you can, you can present something to someone in that way. Um, yeah. So First off, Easy A is a thousand times better than the Scarlet Letter. <laughs> right. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough read, man. It is. And yeah, it um, is. I had to read that and The Crucible in my junior year in high school. And I just remember not liking <laughs> oh, Scarlet Letter so much. Crucible I thought was pretty good, but it was also a lot shorter, way shorter yeah. as a play. So it, it, it read a lot faster. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I think there is some merit behind what they do. So. Sure. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah. Make it so, better. So, you see something like a, a good idea is fine and all, but why not make it a great idea? <laughs> just add bacon to everything. It makes yeah, it that much not, better, apparently. No way, dude. Bacon's gross. Yeah. I don't eat the bacon. That's flesh from some pigs. people like it. So so since uh, since we talked about the stereotypes, you know, typically rich kids in movies, like you were kind of saying, they're the antagonists. Uh, they are shallow and self-centered. There's usually a bully or usually a jock. And he's like, my father will hear about this. But in Clueless, we see bits of that in some characters, but we don't really fully see the Disney movie bad guy. Do you think Cher is a good person, though? Um, what did she do that kind of made you think that if she's good or bad? Yeah, I think she's a good person. I, nothing about her tells me that she's a, a villain by any stretch of the imagination. The only real conflict that she has uh, on a daily basis is with that other girl that's constantly throwing shade her way, who's like her clone. I forget her name. Amber. But yeah, that's it. She's the only one that's ever like mean to her. And so she just kind of fights back, you know, with smart quips. But I don't think she's a, a bad person by any stretch of the imagination. I think she's uh, delightful. Yeah, she I mean, she feeds her dad. She stays on top of her responsibilities. She gets solid grades. Uh, I thought it was brilliant how she was able to argue her way into better grades. And I think that that's fascinating. And I think that says a lot, too, about somebody. But uh, yeah, she's pretty good for being 16 years old, you know, and she doesn't She'll be have... 16 in April, dude, according to the end of the movie. <laughs> So uh, she doesn't have an ulterior motive for Ty either. She's not like, oh, I'm going to make her popular and then exploit her. She's just like, I'm just in a happy go lucky mood and I want to take this on as a project. Yeah, and I think it feels some... good to help people, I think. Yeah. And, and I think know, some... it's, 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 oh, I'm sorry. Real fast. When when Ty's like, I need to go get a drink. You guys want something? She's like, yeah. And then they immediately um, D and share talk to each other like, oh, my God, she's so nice. Like, we like her. Like, they immediately bring her in and welcome her because She's a nice person. They want to surround themselves with nice people. Yeah, agreed. And, and I think maybe one of the only things that could knock her was when she was like, "Ew, don't hang out with with Travis. He's a he's a slacker. He's a stoner." And she didn't really know Travis because you could tell that that Ty was really interested in him and I mean she was smitten by him, but she was kind of like, "No, you don't you don't want him. You want Elton." So I think that that was probably the shallowest thing that she did. But otherwise, yeah, I I think she was she was good. And I, and Along the lines of doing good things, I think 
Like for me, like I donate blood and uh, just because my blood is so rare and amazing. And I don't do that because I can I want to go on to, to things and say like, oh, look at how cool I am. I donated blood. I I like to do it and I don't expect anything from it. But uh, just doing good things is sometimes really cool. And I think I think Cher understands that. And um, yeah, I, I think it's it's about how we can discover and appreciate those little things in in our friends and our family. And there's that scene towards the end when she talks, she says that she talks about how she appreciates Christian and how he looks at all the beauty and the little details and whatever. And then he appreciates Dion and Murray because even when no like when no one's watching, they're so polite to each other. Um, and so she realizes that she can actually learn about her self-worth and and it's okay sort of thing. But I think you hit, uh, hit the nail on the head too. Like she was, she slowed down and she realized she was playing matchmaker this whole time that maybe she deserved love as well. Right. And, and I think you're right. You know, that was wrong of her to say that about Travis. Um, specifically not giving her a chance to get to know the kid. Uh, he's obviously a good kid. He was just, uh, an underachiever, you know, smoking drugs, uh, smoking drugs. I sound like an adult now. <laughs> and uh, well, I smoke some drugs, <laughs> smoking doobies with my brothers. And um, so uh, having a pothead friend can be taxing. Uh, you know, my roommate was Mr. Drug Dealer in college, and it was like a fucking after school special where he just had a backpack of pills and of all different colors and shapes, and it was amazing and remarkable but our apartment always smelled like weed and there was always people coming and going and it drove me insane. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I am a little less sympathetic to uh, the, the drug user, but I will say that I obviously now start fast forward to 2020 when, you know, everybody's smoking weed. Your grandmother has her fucking weed card and she's baking your holiday goodies with, with some hash (laughs) <laughs> and, um, you know, I get it that it's a cultural thing, but I have never I've never bought into like marijuana. I've never really been a smoker, as it were. And so even in school, I never made fun of anybody that did it. But I mean, I was just never something that was cool for us. Like, you know, there's these campaigns to stay off drugs in school. And there was maybe two people in our whole school that did any kind of drugs whatsoever. And everyone kept away from them. So it's like you were an idiot if you did do drugs when I was a kid. <laughs> like I was in this weird era where you were an idiot if you smoked, you were an idiot if you did drugs, and you know it was hard to fit in if you did any of those things. If you were at a party and all of a sudden you took out a cigarette, everyone tell you get the fuck out because like <laughs> cigarettes are gross. Get the hell out of here. You know what I mean? So um, I always found that interesting in '80s films when kids smoked all the time. Like it was cool to smoke. And I'm like, man, just fast forward just a couple of years and it's already not cool to, to smoke. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. You learn to say no at an early age, Justin, and you yes. stuck with it. Yes, I, I like no. But Ty's character, she does like to smoke weed. You know, one of her first comments is I could use a like an herbal refreshment, <laughs> yeah. if you know what yeah. I mean or something. We don't have and... any tea, but we have Coke. You guys have Coke? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shit. You guys have Coke? Yeah, this is America. Like, oh, whoa. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, I love that. And so she could fit in perfectly well with, with Josh, or not Josh, um, fucking Travis. And um, yeah, they, and they obviously hit it off in the lunch line. You know, he's showing her a skateboard. She can do Marvin the Martian. He likes that. 
they they would have been perfect and the universe is trying to put, bring them together but share is breaking them apart no that's uh that's interesting but you said it man you said it first um so and i i think that along the lines of her, the materialism I was kind of talking about earlier, I think there is this facade that is on full display in high school uh, in regards to social status. And as parents, you know, we can only try to tell our kids, just be yourself. One truth that Clueless really nailed was the exploration of, of cliques and how we perceive or we judge each other based on this. We were just talking about the Travis thing. What a person wears can greatly change their social status. This is best exemplified through Ty's makeover. She was wearing the farmer's clothes and then she becomes <laughs> she, she becomes be a farmer <laughs> in those clothes. <laughs> then she becomes oh. the hot girl. Uh, so clothing is a is a big focus in this movie and for good reason. What do you think uh, Heckerling was trying to say about fashion makeovers and glamour as a whole? Was it just to create the fun Beverly Hills vibe or was there something deeper behind Cher's obsession with style? Well, uh. So I do think to some degree it was just kids want to dress nice or wear fun and trendy clothes, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. to look good. We've we've talked about this with Casino last week. We talked about it with Kingsman the week before that, you know, clothes make it man like we like to dress nice and look good. We feel good when Neo steps into the Matrix. He didn't. He's not wearing fucking clothes like he just hopped off a train and he's a goddamn hobo. He looks <laughs> fucking awesome, right? He looks like a fucking badass. And yeah. so I do think that there's a a posterity that comes with having nice clothes and looking good and fitting the part and 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 feeling good about yourself. And I think that clothes have the power to do that. And, you know, she was obviously self-conscious about her body. As soon as that girl said something about being a farmer in this clothes, she's holding the binder, looking at her body language. She's holding the binder to her chest. So you can't really get a good look at her shape. Um, Perfectly natural. I mean, I think all of us, when we feel uncomfortable in clothes, we don't want anybody to see us like, Oh my God, please don't let me die in this outfit or it's going to fucking suck. And so, they found a way to just sort of uh, give her that makeover to show her what she is capable of. And of course, not everyone has the the financial means to do so. And that can be really sad. So, I mean, even if I am struggling to eat, I want to make sure that my kid it can fit in at any school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want them to feel good in their clothes. And, you know, I was talking about Jordans earlier, you know, like we're all wearing like fucking airwalks and vans and all kinds of dumb bullshit. And when we saw a kid wear these Jordans this one time, we're like, whoa, that's the coolest thing ever. You know, you live in the desert, right? They're going to be dirty in like eight seconds. But <laughs> they look pretty fucking cool right now. But I mean, it's just a big yeah. deal, you know, like uh, and the, as soon as I was able to to buy clothes, you know, like whether it was back to school or when I became my own person and, and went off to college and got to do all my shopping and, and be my own self, I tried my hardest to just always look my best. Right. Uh, I think the power of perception is a very big deal. And it's it's how I perceive myself and more importantly how, uh, I mean, it shouldn't be more importantly, but just when it comes to, you know, getting a job and uh, being successful in school and, you know, uh, people thinking that you're not going to be a troublemaker. You know what I mean? Like even when it's something as stupid as the police, you know, when I'm in, when I'm walking around in, in my suit, I'm less likely to be targeted by the police than the (laughs) the homeless guy that's outside of a building. Like, Hey, what are you doing here, guy? 
And I could be standing right next to them and they would bother the homeless person and not me because that's the power of perception, right? It's terrible. That's just the way the world works. Yeah. And uh, I mean, one thing, though, from when I caught shoplifters was I would watch when people wore really nice suits into the store because I thought that that was a tactic to, um, you know, distract me or to make me not want to watch them, but it always usually, it usually turned out that that person was stealing. And I mean, I look at the merchandise obviously, but when I do see a nice suit, I'm like, ha, you can't fool me. I'm unfoolable. But yeah, <laughs> it was always shoes for me. The shoes, shoes are, the shoes are a big one. Here. Yeah. Shoes yeah. are always one of my number ones. And then uh, they, might, uh, they might've stolen that coat, but they, they didn't get time <laughs> yeah. to swap out the shoes. Yeah. Exactly. And then a Nesquik chocolate milk. Um, that was always one of mine. If they got a Nesquik chocolate milk, like if I was unsure about something and then someone grabbed one, I was like, boom, this is going to work. And I kid you not, it, it worked almost every single time. It's yeah, crazy. Drug, druggies like dairy, man. They, well, they like they like the sugar. Uh, yeah. So that's why they seal the candy and everything like that. It's yeah, great, so crazy funny. stuff. I could write a book. I could write a book about about catching shoplifters. I did it for like 10 years. So you should do it. Write a book. I'll buy it. I don't, make it a pop up book. Make it fun. Yeah. Once upon a time. <laughs> Grandpa, that's not how it goes. <laughs> like, listen here, little asshole. <laughs> Jesus, what are you reading this story for? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, I think I think that uh, the fashion was important, especially in Beverly Hills. I've only driven through Beverly Hills, but you know, fashion is the passion with the with it and hip when you're down there. there you so, go. Um, I I think it was important, and you could totally tell she stuck out like a sore thumb tied did until she found her click. But I didn't really even, even what Cher was saying about, um, Oh, you know, there's the different clicks and you don't want to date Travis. They all got along though. It wasn't even in class, you know, it wasn't her being disgusted by Travis or treating him like shit or anything else. Everyone was, they were all at the same party in the Valley. And yeah, I, I, I think that the clothes definitely help, but that was just who she was. And that just kind of fit, fit that lifestyle. So sure. it is what it is, but yeah. And actually when you were talking, I was thinking of my second favorite part when Ty is at that mighty, mighty boss tones club and she comes in and waves and then falls down the stairs. And then she's like, Oh great. Now everyone's going to know me as the girl who fell down the stairs. <laughs> she's so funny, dude. I was dying. I was laughing. It was so funny how she fell. But I do like Just sliding all down like a little yeah. washboard. Oh my god, it's so great! Physical comedy is tough, dude, and she nails it. She's she's yeah. so talented. I was again devastated at the loss of Brittany Murphy. I know I liked her too. So, but yeah, man, that's all I have on Clueless. I got to give a, a shout out to Gabby Tron. He um he said that his wife wanted us to do Clueless and I thought it was a good idea because we were kind of talking about this a long time ago, but yeah, I'm glad that we did Clueless. What are your final thoughts on this film and what's your letter grade? Love the movie. It is fantastic. I I would give it a B, but then Cher would argue it all the way up to an A. So I'll give it an A. <laughs> um, I don't love it as much as you do, so I am going to give it a B. But uh, like I rented it instead of buying it because I was like, eh, I'll wait until it goes on super sale. Uh, I apologize about the 19 minutes that you couldn't see at the end. But <laughs> was, I know I got yeah. 19 minutes in. And then oh, I'd stop. Oh, <laughs> so I was like, sorry. well, shit. No, it's all good. <laughs> sorry. I, mean, I just had to go get my disc. It was just a lazy thing. So no big no big deal. I just I couldn't I couldn't watch it in, in like glorious like ten eighty P 
type thing uh whatever it's it's what it, it was 1080p on the rental right right and yeah. so like i had a, i had a dvd of because it it's an old copy and Gross. so i had to run over to the thing and get the disc and then insert it into my computer hmm. and then i watched it on my i had it as i was working i was watching it on um my my screen so nice i have two well, more uh well, feel free to watch Beverly Hills Cop in uh, in 4K. You can watch that. And then uh, feel free to watch Beverly Hills Cop 2 in HD. It's on my boot. Oh, so. no, there's one, is two. <laughs> 200. There's, there's too many right angles on this film. There's not supposed to be any right angles. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that movie. He's obsessed with oh. Rambo. But cool, man. Well, that's that's it. That's all we have. So thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us at DB Crazy Pod. It's at Edgy Armo and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show, just like today's episode. Thank you, Mr. Gabriel. It was a good one and a fun one. Heck, you know, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Uh, we are going to do two Christmassy type holiday movies for the next two episodes, and uh, that'll be really fun to, to break down and discuss. But moving into the new year, we are all ears. So please be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. They're doing a lot of fun stuff and breaking down each Mandalorian episode. So if you are a Mando fan and you don't watch Rebels or Clone Wars, tune in. It's great. Then uh, please check out the Pixelated podcast with Stevie K. Janes and Justin. But yeah, just please remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.